heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. Now, keep in mind, we're 245 years old. Let me give you a couple of facts up front here. Uh, so uh, on July 4th, uh, 2026, right, uh, we'll be 250 years old. Now, for those of you who were here in 1976, it was kind of a magic moment for this country. I mean, <laughs> the, the, the bicentennial, right? 200 years was a big deal. America coming of age. I was thinking over the years, you know, it's funny how time goes by so quickly. And as we get older, it even accelerates and seems like it's going back by quicker, right? Every week, she has that another week, another month, another year. <laughs> and, it, and it does kind of do that with us, you know. But I thought many of the years, you know, through the years, you know, would we be here? What will we be like at 250 years old? Now, let me tell you also what that'll be officially called. A uh, little more twist of the tongue won't be the bicentennial, but it'll be the there's a couple of words that that might fit this. Uh, the semi-quincentennial, semi-quincentennial it doesn't roll off the tongue so easy. Uh, there's other references to the fact they may call it the sester centennial as well, or uh, other references quarter m- millennial. Uh, whatever it is, um, 250 uh, anniversary of the Declaration of Independence is a pretty big deal as well. In the scope of things, I always remind you, we're a young, young country. I mean, you look historically at the, the world, the globe, and we're just babies really here, America is. But at the same time, as I reference all the time to you, there's a, you think a little bit about the natural evolution of countries, right? And it's still a maturity point that when you look through great empires or powers over the years, uh, you know, it, it kind of maxes it out uh, where we're at. And so there's a little bit of pause here. And then you think, well, how great or exceptional is America really? Now, this is a big deal, this circle of life kind of deal of a nation and where we're at, because we're living through these moments. We may not realize how historical and how unique they are. Just like in the day when these other things happened historically in the past, they didn't realize at that point what a moment that was going to make uh, on the world, yet it was. And I think I'll reference right now, and I've been talking about this for years with you all, we're, we're at that moment as well right now where history is being created, it has been, through the whole Trump era, the, the Obama era, uh, you know, through the the years of Bush, Clinton, Bush, Obama, some really strange years there of the building of government. But I went back and I looked at our population. We know where we're at today. I mean, you, you pretty well know we're roughly just above about 330 million on any given day uh, of population here today in the United States, right? But you go back here to 1776, and I wonder, well, how big, how, you know, how large were we then, more or less? You know, well, two and a half million in 1770. Now, it's a lot easier to stir the ship uh, or to make the, what I call the agility of decision making, just like in any big corporation or business, that you, you know, a little more agile and you can maneuver faster, quicker and make decisions, a little more bureaucracy, red tape, more layers, more expansive nature, 
not so easy to turn the ship, people. It's not not so easy. So, you know, two and a half million, you could do that. And then I looked further down, looked at 18, you know, where we were at 1800. Uh, we're about 5.3, okay, 5.3 million. That's it. I mean, think about that now. Wow. I mean, that's it's still, you know, 1900. We were only 76 million in uh, 1900. And, uh, and at 2000, 281 million, right? So now... Uh, 2020, 330 plus, right? You know, when you say millions now, you, you kind of get struck up on your tongue. I, I, at least I do. I don't know about you, because Washington now talks in trillions. And so even the word million anymore, I'm thinking, is that really millions or is that? Yeah, yeah, it is millions in this particular case. Uh, but they now speak in trillions and they, they've they continue to raise the stakes, which is part of the problem we're having here, more or less, you know. So the size of our nation and where we go, because I've been thinking about how do we change the direction or how do we re-innovate? How do we re-innovate and, you know, reformat? Listen, I'm an entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur all my life, okay? I think outside the box. In fact, I don't have a box in my life, so I don't really have to think outside of it because I don't own one. But people generally in America, they go around living in boxes and their goal is to always take a moment to think outside of it. Of course, people like me that are a little insane on the edges, uh, we're, we do it all the time. So, so that entrepreneurial spirit is sort of where I come from, American exceptionalism, uh, you know, knowing as an optimist that anything is possible. That's, that's the framework that Malcolm comes from. I really believe anything is possible. I always have believed that. Now, there are 50 states, and the reason we have electoral college is we spread it around. But, of course, the left keeps talking about a democracy because they want just New York and California to vote. You see, maybe Illinois, you throw in the pot and you got the whole thing, you see. Uh, but that's not where we're at. And the framers knew that. The only thing I wish the framers had done is put term limits in there and termed everybody the hell out of Washington, you know. But they, they figured out some of the heavy left in fours. You know, the little holes that are here and there are still causing problems in our nation. Now, what I want to do is peel this a little bit with you because, you know, I love American exceptionalism. I love innovation. I love entrepreneurial spirits. I love all of it. And I, I love the American might. I believe the American people are very special. I believe we're a very unique group of people. We're daredevils. We're on the edge. We've created um, masterful innovations. We've moved the world forward in so many ways. But now we're getting to be a little, you know what, you know what I'm going to call it? You know what I'm going to call it? We're becoming a little bit Humpty Dumpty-ish. You know what I'm saying? We're a little obese, we're a little overweight, <laughs> kind of rounded, we kind of move, you know. And of course, one crack and fall and we will split into how many pieces, I don't know. So I look at it as this kind of a Humpty Dumpty sort of thing, you know. And, and I'm thinking with all these... Um, People that are now in the country, now we're this big conglomerate, we're like a big corporation. And of course, the board is was supposed to be we the people, the board of the shareholders, the board of directors were supposed to be we the people, but it's not clearly. The elites are running the funny farm. And that's the problem I'm seeing. And so the we the people are running around with a hair on fire, and we're divided clearly the Don Lemons of the world. And I'll talk about that in a moment. And then people like me that are, and, and also who you'll, we'll talk to in a moment, Wallace Garneau, people like probably where we think uh, more patriotic, conservative people love the constitution, love the country, love exceptionalism, love all of this stuff, man. I mean, this is really, this is it. This is a place to be America. Yeah. So, 
you see, my dilemma is how do we fix something or get out of the point of decline? How do we, re you know, and I got thinking of that and I'm, I'm going to ask Wallace as well. I'm thinking, okay, how do we reinvent and re-innovate? Now, I kind of do that a lot in my world as, a, as an entrepreneur, as a CEO of my life and many things I've done, people. I would do some weird stuff. I would come in and change the furniture over the weekend just so that the staff would come back on Monday and not know where the hell they sat. How do you like that? And I was like, what? <laughs> and I would do it. And that would be a secret. Nobody would know. So they came in Monday and seen everything was moved in the place. Now, I did that to keep the spirit of innovation alive. But I'm the kind of guy who likes to, you know, a lot of people go through life like if it ain't broke, don't break it. And that's not my feelings at all. If it ain't broke, break the damn thing is what I would say. And that, that's the point of innovation and, 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 and fr you know, friction where it happens. That's the beautiful part of all of this. And I love that part. But you got to break shit to be able to, you know, make new stuff. You got to innovate. So I'm thinking about that in the terms of America, if that makes sense. All right. So, you know, here we are. Here we are. We're now approaching. I mean, we're 245 now. We're approaching that magic number 250. And I hope everybody listening here is we're all here and, and in good health in five years to see what we look like. But, you know, it is a mark right now to think, what do we want to be when we grow up? You know, 250 years. Uh, what are we going to be? I mean, is it time to reinvent? Is it time to re-innovate? Is it time to make some dramatic changes? Yeah, that's what I'm asking, I guess. You know? That is what I'm asking people. Hmm. Interesting, you know. You see, I think about this stuff quite a bit, actually. You know, let me bring on now Wallace Garneau with us. Uh, you know, Wallace is a contributor here on on this show, and uh, certainly at America Out Loud. Spent 23 years as e-commerce manager, IT manager. Uh, knows business. I mean, understands economics, business. He's author of the book The Way Forward: Lean Leadership and Systems Thinking for Large and Small Businesses. I could take that same title, Wallace, and, and put that on the country right now, you see, and say, okay, as far as the country goes, how do we get lean leadership in America? Because we're, we're a bit humpty dumptyish. We're a little sloppy looking. We look sloppy. We don't have the agility anymore. So back to even your book and the way you reference it, you know, think, lean, I got just thinking of this now as I seen it, it just came to my mind, lean leadership and systems thinking. We could actually use that for the United States government, lean leadership and systems thinking. So how do we apply that forward to them and with these schools of thought? Opening I'm glad comment. you asked. I'm glad you asked, Malcolm, because that's actually the title of the next book, Lean Governance. <laughs> I love it. I love it, buddy. Yeah, the first one's kind of a micro look at, at economics in terms of, of how would an ideal company be run under a free market economy. And then the, the next book will be how do we return to a free market economy? So, yeah, you're, you're, you're thinking exactly the right way. Yeah, it's re-innovation. And I, I'm thinking about this a lot, Wallace. I mean, because I know we're slipping away somewhere and I, I don't like it. I'm uncomfortable and I feel it. I think about everybody feels it. Most everybody feels it. Unless they really got their head in the sand here, they feel it. You know, I started thinking, uh, Wallace, about uh, Americans and who we are as a people. And again, back to this collective state of, you know, going from two and a half million in 1776 to, you know, well, look, we are now, I mean, well, north of 330 million, still not the size of a China, you know, in 1.4 billion on any given day, they're four times the size of us with people, which is really where they get any power from. If they were the size of us and as sloppy as they are right now, they would be a third world. Well, they probably are in many ways, but they would be a nothing. They wouldn't be anybody we'd be talking about. But it's the volume of their people and the, the economics of that people that make them, uh, I think, such an interesting threat. But 
I've been thinking about uh, these Americans. I want to get your thought on who we are as a people and the natural evolution of this country. I'm thinking about uh, some of the questions I'd like to answer today with you, Wallace, is how do we stay on top of this thing? Or versus the natural evolution of a country, how do we stay on top? I've seen a piece here in uh, th this one here, uh, an article I want to give. Don Lemon flips out on Democrats, slams desk during rant about saving America. Get your butts in gear, it says. Now, listen, this was in um, this particular one was in Fox News. And, and let me tell you what this was, because I'm thinking Don Lemon. What I want to ask you, Wallace, is how many Don Lemons do we have in America? Think about this a moment as I read you this. How many Don Lemons do we have in America, people that think this way? I, I'm just wondering, out of that 330 plus million, how many of those really feel like this guy is the min minority, you know, big time? Is the majority, is it sort of quasi, you know, is it right there? Uh, right. So this goes on to say this. He ranted that they weren't doing enough to sell their agenda to the American people and rescue democracy. There's that word again. They love it. During the handoff between the respective shows, Lemon and fellow left-wing host uh, Chris Cuomo agreed that Democrats had a messaging problem when it came to communicating their agenda. You know, of course, uh, me speaking now, people, maybe their, maybe their uh, agenda just sucks. Maybe it's not a messaging problem. Maybe it just sucks. And that would be, you know, maybe, but of course, I never admit that here. But Lemon took it a step further because becoming agitated, as he called Democrats weak and accused them of not being passionate enough about saving America. And of course, I think all the time, Wallace, I wonder what the hell their version of saving America looks like. <laughs> you know, we can just see what that looks like yet. Now, Democrats, he says, and I quote, get your butts in gear and get passionate about saving this damn country. You're not doing it. You're weak. You are weak. You are weak. He, goes, he said it that many times. Lemon says as he beat his hand on the desk, Lemon claimed the massive Democrat-backed multi-trillion dollar social spending package included items that Americans wanted. Well, yeah, it's all the free shit you could possibly suffocate with in your life, you know, but weren't being advocated for in the right way. And I quote, if you get someone in a ruby red state or rural state to understand that, then it's a win for you. Lemon said Republicans. Now, here's the killer. Here's the killer. I'll end it here. Republicans are going around the country and they're winning with a lie. So he suggested the Republicans are lying, Wallace. He says they're able to get people on their side with a total lie. And Democrats can't get people motivated with the truth that will help them. So then I start thinking truth, lies, Don Lemon, this kind of a thing. How many Don Lemons are there in the country that think this way with completely what I would say reversing a truth and a lie? Well, I think there are probably about 60 million of them. And I think they cast about 81 million votes in the last election. <laughs> I don't think it was 81 million, actually. I think it was less. Uh, but that's what they counted, they say, correct? Well, that's what I mean. There were 60 million people who voted Democrat and 81 million votes. That's, that's yeah, that, my, my point is they did not win the election. Yeah, yeah, I get your point. But uh, yeah, uh, let's point out the real obvious here. Yeah, I mean, there's no way. In fact, I was looking at somebody. Uh, so, all right, I'm going to find something. Somebody sent me something this morning. But go ahead and you know, tell us. Um, explain to me this Don Lemon, this thinking, this mentality, this, um, does, so, does somebody, does somebody like that, Wallace, when you study the psychology, does somebody like that really believe what he puts out here? 
That's a good question. There are certainly people who really do believe what he's putting out there, whether or not he is one of them, I honestly don't know. He's fairly consistent in his messaging, so I have to think he probably does. Uh, but I also think there's the question of why he believes what he does. And if he wants to keep his job on CNN, he has to do what he's told. And uh, we, we know for a fact, for example, that Time Warner has a contract with the Chinese Communist Party wherein Time Warner can produce media for China, and they can also utilize the media they've produced for our market and show it in China. Uh, but in order for them to be able to do that, they have to allow the Chinese Communist Party to censor the content that they produce both in China and here, which means that everything we hear on CNN, and this is true for most of our major media houses, everything we hear, everything that we are told is news is actually Chinese propaganda. It's, it's all censored directly by China. So we don't hear anything unless China says it's okay, unless we're listening to sources like America Out Loud. Mm, yeah. Um, so, we, yeah, we know the media is part of this shift, uh, but I, I'm sort of thinking that Lemon does believe what he puts out there. I'm guessing he does. And then you have to realize there's an, uh, the, the ideology problem of where we all have a different belief system. So then I start thinking the agility back to the point I was making. So if we're the size we are now, we're no longer, you know, it's harder to get 330 million or any part of that or some sort of a consensus anywhere uh, to agree on anything. Is it the pure size that we become sort of a conglomerate, sort of a sloppy, humpty dumpty? Is that the problem that we, we, we've we lost our agility now? Is that because our representative government clearly isn't working? Well, I think that's certainly a problem. I think that the larger, not so much in, certain, in terms of the number of people that a country gets, but I think that as a country becomes larger, it tends to become more, uh, the, the, the culture tends to become more diverse. And I think we've gotten to a point where we're questioning whether or not there even is such a thing as an American culture. Of course, you and I would say there is. But I think a lot of people, when they start talking about multiculturalism, what they want to say is that there should be no true American culture, and that we should have a bunch of different cultures. And the issue there is uh, one of my favorite historians, uh, Will Durant, wrote that uh, there are three things any country needs to survive. One of them is a common language. One of them is the common religion. And one of them is a common culture. Now, he doesn't say you need all three. He says you need two. Well, the Democrats are attacking all three. And if we don't have at least two of those things, then uh, we're going to collapse as a nation. Yeah, I love this reference of Will Durant. I want to bring that uh, uh, right up front here to listeners, uh, the history of civilization. Um, and Wallace talks about this uh, in a piece he has up that is a, a really, a, I think, a terrific read. Uh, America's decline is a choice. Well, that was the uh, the impetus and the spark for this conversation today, actually. Uh, America's decline is a choice. Well, it's a choice that many of us don't want. But then I look at the Don Lemons of the world and wonder how many of those are, like, like Wallace says, well, probably about 60 million who voted in the last election and won it by 80 million people, sure. Um, now, what's interesting, uh, when I talk about the agility and this visual of a Humpty Dumpty, where we become cumbersome, and, you know, our framers did the best they could, I think, with the Declaration of Independence. Our Constitution is unique uh, in what it is. I don't think they crossed. I mean, they didn't in my world, uh, Wallace, they didn't cross all the T's and dot all the I's, but they did a hell of a job to get us started as, as a nation and gave us the most amazing document outside of the Bible that uh, could be a, 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 a guiding principles for this nation, I believe. Again, I have some things I would have fixed. I wish it was in there, but they're beating the Constitution up every 
day, every hour of the day. You talk about something very unique, and I've been saying this, our, our problems, our, uh, our enemies are not the problems we have. Our enemies are right here within. We are doing it to ourselves. I tell you that all the time out there. This is all self-inflicted, but it's because of this uh, lack of agility, I think, and the fact we, we're not governing well at all. And we, the people, are not running the program. We are now the slaves of the elites. Uh, that's what's that's am I uh, speaking do you agree with anything there or am I speaking out of uh, sorts for you there with that Wallace oh I, I absolutely 100% unequivocally agree with you uh the the other thing there you were talked about how old the country is it's worth pointing out uh that both Rome and Greece stopped being republics long before they reached 250 years of age there has never been a republic on the face of the earth that has been a republic for 250 years and I look back at the last election I asked myself are we still one? I don't. I, I don't even know that we are. Yeah, I, I question it as well, my my brother. I, I question it as well. Back to the Will Durant piece. It's a very interesting thing, and I, I uh, this was really good uh, because you you talk in here about and it's a it's a great it's symbolic uh, uh, visual again, like my Humpty Dumpty sort of thing. But but that you look at where you talk about the clearing and the bush. And you say here, one of Will Durant's most enduring observations is that civilizations rise and decline in a predictable cyclical pattern, okay? All civilizations are born in the bush, all right? So you get the, the image here. With the strongest, most dominant civilization emerging into the clearing, which we would have been in the clearing if we are still there. Uh, the civilization in the clearing will often look at other civilizations as, well, barbaric backward or third world even. We hear that reference all the time at third world. None of the civilizations are static, however. The one in the clearing will grow economically, militarily, and structurally strong, but it will also discover the arts and develop ample time for leisure and idle hands to idle minds. And, and the civilization will begin to grow decadent, humpty dumpty again, and corrupt. Moral values will decline. And that has happened here. But to get that Bush and Clearing thing, uh, take it from there. Let's tell folks, I mean, this idea of, well, it's sort of like, uh, I think I referenced this, uh, might have even referenced it on Viewpoint, I don't know, but it's it's the fittest of the fittest. It's the bigger uh, eating the smaller, uh, you, you know what I'm saying? So what's happened? Explain to this uh, really interesting analogy from Will Durant. Yeah, you bet. The, the concept Will Durant had is that the very things that make a society civilized also make it over time grow weaker. It becomes decadent. The morality begins to loosen. Uh, people, you know, the, the old saying, idle hands make, uh, made, make idle minds. Uh, people have more free time. They have more time to do the things they want to do. And some of the things that they start to do are to question the rules of society. In the meantime, there's always a society still in the bush that is not yet fully civilized. It's still hungry. It, it's, it still desires to grow. It still desires more. And then it sees these people out here in the clearing that have this great society with, with lots of money and lots of technology and lots of material resources. And it thinks that should be me. And lo and behold, the, the civilization, the clearing, though it may have a giant military, its people are morally weak. It's, it, it's, it's no longer willing to do what it needs to do to defend itself. And the uh, society still in the bush that's looking at it and that wants the things that it has, eventually one of those societies is going to be stronger than the society in the clearing. And when it comes out of the clearing, or out into the clearing, you know, look out because it's going to destroy 
the dominant society of that preceded it. And then in the process, it's going to take all of that technology and all of that civilization, and it will become, begin to become a civilized society itself. And in the process, it will start going through moral decay. And, and then Will Durant's saying was, there is always a hungry society still out in the bush. You know, we're becoming weaker as a nation. Uh, it appears that way or in decline. And yet we can't seem to wake people up fast enough, Wallace. We can't see, again, because you have these Don Lemon types uh, who see the world or see America for sure to in a totally different light than what we are. And, you know, 9-11, we were surprised. We were shocked at the value and the, the, the shock and awe of those planes hitting the towers and uh, with uh, the potential of Islam being a threat. Uh, and they've been in denial in the Obama years. You couldn't even use the word Islamist. You couldn't use the, a lot of words uh, that, you know, terrorist. And they were sugarcoating everything and really dumbing us down then, dumbing society down then. In the meantime, they've been dumbing down the schools for, good golly, well over a couple, three decades now that's been a slow drip 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 and then you have the the insurgent the resurgence here and the growth of china which uh, we've been talking about for years and but the political stripe in our nation uh the the, the political powers that are just uh, you know um, uh, at each other's uh, faces here their throats they're fighting like cats and dogs here uh for their own self-salvation of elections and their power brokers of their ideology and their political party stripes. And, you know, you got to give a little credit at this moment too, by the way, everybody to, uh, uh, you know, a mansion, a mansion and uh, uh, cinema, because without, don't you think Wallace, without them too, right now, this thing's a slam dunk that you've now flipped America, put it in the socialist column. Don't you think? Oh, the only piece of the puzzle that they haven't gotten their arms wrapped around yet are the courts. And Gretchen Whitmer showed them way around that. He just declared once you're called, once you do something that it's called unconstitutional, you just say, oh, well, the Department of Health and Human Services then has the authority to do it. And you just keep doing it anyway. Yeah, and that's what they're doing. That's exactly what Wallace is pointing out there. Uh, it, it is remarkable. So we talk about the circle of life. And so I'm thinking, Wallace, how do we, I guess some of the things I, I'd like to talk more about is, is how do we, you know, get, I mean, we talk about reinvent, and you talk about that in your piece a little bit later on the reinvention or reinnovation. How do we get back? And as you say here, uh, I vote for American exceptionalism. I vote for a resurgent America. Is really how you end that message. And you know, and decline is a choice. Now we've seen historically, as we've already pointed out, that decline has been uh, a, 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 it's it's a choice, but. Human nature and human beings continue to bite that apple and they continue to make the wrong choices and their uh, their empires, their power structures, their regimes, whatever, the, they go down, their nations collapse, which is what Will Durant talks about in the Bush in the Clarin. So I'm thinking at this point, now what I really want to rack, I've been racking my brains while I was coming in today, because I love having these conversations, first of all, with you. Uh, you, you are always, you're a thinker, you, you know, you're another very unusual person that probably, you, and I never really asked you this, I don't know if you have a box in your life or whether you carry one around with you or not. Uh, maybe I need to ask you that a little bit, but it seems to me you're willing at least to get outside of it. Uh, yeah, most people have to be prompted for that or edged to get outside of their comfort zone. 
Um, I, I, I always had a disease as a young lad, uh, complacency. I never liked it. Didn't like it. You know, we typically as human beings, we have complacency is a disease. In fact, it's one of the five human uh, diseases I talk about all the time. I have to bring that up again and, and have that talk with y'all. But it's one of the five human ailments that hold us back as a people. I need to write that book, too, when I have time. Right. <laughs> and um, but it is. And complacent i call it complacentitis it's one of the diseases the ailments complacentitis and it's a disease people have we get very fat and happy complacent it's like i used to see as a young guy my brother-in-laws and uncles and dad and others they all got you know heavy they all got chubby and you know sloppy and guys had the big stomach and and then i you know, it wasn't an attractive look. It's not anything I wanted to look at as a young man and say, well, that's what I want to look at when I get old. I want to look like their Uncle Frank over there or dad or, you know, I never, that was not on my line at all. I said, hell, I want to look every the opposite of that thing right there. Uh, in, in, you know, anyways, uh, I could go further with that, but uh, you, you get the picture. Um, and, um, you know, and, I, and I'm thinking of, of that, you know, the, this uh, this decline in state, you know, where we kind of get that way. We get sloppy. And I, I thought about that as a young guy. So I don't want to look that way at all. So you re-innovate. And as a guy in business, as an entrepreneur, I was in corporate boardrooms for over 25 years of my life before I got to the radio, Mike, and 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 America Out Loud with you all. And, uh, you know, to try to make a difference in the world, um, which is something I wanted to do all my life. But uh you know, I, I got thinking of the corporate boardroom and re-innovation, uh, uh, reinvention and innovation and exceptionalism. And on the corporate structure, it works, which is what Wallace writes about and talks about a lot in, as a business guy and in, in his book and all, you know, the way forward, lean leadership and systems thinking for larger small businesses. Especially we can make that larger and small countries, right? You can see he's going to do a hell of a job on that follow-up book. I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be a good one. Uh, especially with all these talks we're having and everything else. But you see, so what I'm thinking right now is to get to the point and spit it out, Malcolm. Well, you're, okay, I'm going to spit it out. So what I'm thinking about is, you know, this, I mean, how do we change? How do we make history? How do we make history? Because, you know, Wallace says, well, you know, come on, nobody's really passed the 250 mark, dude. What are you talking about? Look at them all. They sort of stopped being what, being what they were well before that, and they declined as a whole. So, so how do we, you know, and it's not just surviving, and, but thriving. So how do we be again? How do we be exceptional? How do we re-innovate America? This is a hell of a project, and we want to talk about this much more. I could see this on a grand scale. You know, I'd love to be, I'd love to do these town halls in a whiteboard exercise. I have this weird uh, dream all the time that I'm on, I'm doing, and I have some of the best thinkers in the world. This is something I really want to do. And uh, want to create a think tank, uh, but not a political think tank. I, want to, I, don't, I don't really want to talk about Republicans and Democrats all day long, people. Uh, but I wanted this whiteboard exercise, and I want to have some of the best thinkers in the room. On all sides of the aisle, I don't really care about the politics. I just look at great minds. And I want to be able to come up with some conclusions and thoughts. And that's kind of what I'm looking at here. Wouldn't that be kind of cool to do this on this particular topic? How do we, how do we, make, a, how do we make a new America? As I said to you the other day, that's what I forgot what I said earlier, what I forgot because I got thinking again is, you know, how do we how do we reinvent? But how do we make a new America if this America goes and it appears to be on a fast track going somewhere? Uh, is there a new America around? Is there something else we can catch on? Because I don't 
want to be in this kind of an environment, you know, and is this the best we have? I said, well, there's no other America, Malcolm. Everybody says that to me all the time. I guess there's not really. I haven't found anything either. I mean, you know, so maybe you move to a deserted island or something or whatever, right? Or some third world, you know, jittle, as they always say. I don't know. Uh, but is that all we have on this planet? Well, then maybe it's time to look for another planet, people. I mean, it's not such a bad idea, the muscats, after all, and, and all the other fat cats, right? Maybe it's time to look for another planet. They want to occupy the moon. You see, put a base up there. Of course, we'd have to live in a suit all the time, but uh, it'd be hard to have. A, I, I can't see with all that suit stuff. Well, you'd have to do something else because you'd want to have sex and have life and everything else. And kind of hard to do that in the rooms. But anyways, I digress. I digress. My friends, we're going to take a pause here. We'll be back with Wallace Garneau. You're listening to the voice of a nation. The silent majority has spoken. We say, let the silent voices be heard. You can be the voice of change. Contact our producer at libertyatamericaoutloud.com. libertyatamericaoutloud.com. Hail, my fellow Americans, how did you feel watching footage on the news of domestic terrorists looting our stores and burning our cities down? Uh, You were probably disgusted and angry as much as I was. It's disturbing what's going on. Well, you'd be shocked to know that your shopping habits are supporting these extremists. Companies like Amazon, Nike, Disney, FedEx, it's an endless list, and they've been supporting these radical groups. Let's stop supporting companies that fund these extremist groups. We can all do our part. Visit shoptotheright.com, and you'll find businesses in a nationwide database and companies that are aligned with our American values. Visit shoptotheright.com and let's all make a difference. Healthy Cell makes a wonderful line of products and I want to spend just a minute with you on REM sleep. Do you know Healthy Cell's product has calming herbs, amino acids, minerals, and sleep hormone support for the four-stage human sleep cycle. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and achieve REM or rapid eye movement sleep. Through the phases, fall asleep easily. That component of sleep is favorably impacted by melatonin, lemon balm extract, and GABA, lowering the body temperature. That element is influenced by glycine, magnesium, and calcium. Deep lasting sleep, L-theanine, vitamin D3, and vitamin B6. And finally, creativity boosting REM sleep, 5-HTP, vitamin B6, and GABA. Many of us think we need to sleep because we're short on sleep, but we need quality sleep. So please consider Healthy Cell REM sleep supplement. I have one tonight and I'm going to have a much better night's sleep if I uh, compared to if not taking it. So go to uh, HealthyCell.com and in the promo box, uh, type in out loud and that'll give you a 20% uh, discount off your first purchase. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. The America Out Loud family is comprised of patriots in the true sense of the word. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty and the Constitution to help save America for future generations to come. AmericaOutloud.com. It's a fight for the soul of humanity.
Listen to Malcolm, the voice of a nation, on iHeartRadio or our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. Welcome back to the voice of a nation. It is Malcolm Out Loud here, yours truly. And thank you, my friends, for being with me on the mission here. It's a big mission today. Um, A resurgent America is the goal here. The circle of life of a nation, uh, the natural evolution of a people, right? And the declining state of where we find ourselves. And then those Don Lemons of the world, you know? What what are these people on? What version of crack are they exactly on? You know, I wonder, right? I mean, you know, and I always say that, what kind of an America are they looking at? Not the kind of an America I'm looking at, for sure. So all of that's on the agenda today. All that's hot here, my friends. I want to remind you also, to get back to AmericaOutloud.com, it's it's a it's a place to be. I mean, it's the best of the great articles, columnists from all over the world, and uh, it, it, people who passionately care. They care about this republic, um, and you know, you believe there's a lot of people around the world, a lot of fans, a lot of fans of America who know the importance of America in this world, and think about how uncivilized the world would be without an America. Uh, you know, um, doing a, a a double check all the time on what's going on. Of course, that's a whole nother argument about, you know, being in everybody's affairs or pushing some version of some sort of democracy around the world, which I don't support. Uh, And that's a whole nother conversation for another day. But uh, anyways, uh, we are speaking of Wallace Garneau here and uh, uh, one of our uh, commentators, contributors and troublemakers. And Wallace, I got to ask you, do you have a box? Do Do you carry a box with you in life? Yes and no. Uh, I, I think we all have kind of a box or a comfort zone within which we, we spend most of our time. Uh, but I think, uh, quoting somebody else, Jordan Peterson, he says that the box tends to be somewhat tyrannical and that we are closest to heaven when we have one foot in the box and one foot out of it. Now, everything we can learn, obviously, is not in the box. So if you live in your box all the time, you're not going to learn anything. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, I, I do have one, but I, I try not to stay in it. Yeah, I love Jordan Peterson. Uh, it's great you reference him, and uh, it's a thinker, another thinker. Um, yeah, yeah, everybody's got a different visual of what the box is, but it really is about the complacent itis and not being complacent in your life, like you say, one foot in, one foot out, whatever it is, or being completely uh, like a. I, I visualize the hairdo Wallace of an Einstein, where it's all like, oh, you know, kind of frazzled at the edges, you know. Uh, some of those unique uh, innovators and uh, personalities. And uh, what, a lot of those people didn't have boxes, I bet, you know. Um, I don't know. I didn't think they did. That's probably how we got most of our innovations and inventions were from people who probably didn't have boxes. They thought, and, and people would always say, you can't do that. And don't you love it when people say that and, the, and someone ends up doing it, Wallace, you know? That's the oldest story in the world. Nothing can be done until it's done. Somebody says you can't do it. That gives me energy to do it when somebody says that, you know, it's like, don't tell me what I can't do because I'm pretty thick headed at the end of the day. And I'm going to do it's just really what I am. I I push push the the boundaries, I guess. How do we get America now? Let's talk about this. This, um, you know, you you say here part. Of, uh, let me get to the problem here, because you reference here in your piece, your article here. Many in America think that America needs to be brought down to size. Barack Obama once said, and this is pretty remarkable, this quote here, my legacy will be an America brought down to the level of the rest of the world. I'm a, uh, Wallace, that's, that's an unbelievable quote. Yeah, it's also true. He really did say that and he, he really meant it. And, and now we're seeing that come to fruition. 
I mean, I, I just can't believe those words. I mean, how could somebody say that? How could you know any president, anybody in the loves is going to say that's ridiculous. That's that's a brain de- deficiency. That's somebody who's, you know, but this is the same guy who is apologizing for America all around the world and, and bitching about our exceptionalism, telling everybody else is exceptional too. So he was a real cancer to our country. I fought like hell against the Obama legacy, uh, uh, th- that agenda that he had there. I did not like it. Uh, to finish your quote in your article here, you say, and though Obama was not able to realize this ambition, the Biden administration is moving full speed ahead with plans to weaken the United States militarily, economically, and destroying the wealth of the American people in the process. Now, Obama, um, Biden, Joe Biden, he's like he's like the clumsy uncle, first of all. That's very um, unobtrusive. You don't think he's going to be, you know, he's like, he's not, he can't bother anybody. Wallace, come on. It's only, it's only Joe Biden. You know, that's kind of the most dangerous part about Biden, I think. Don't you? Yes, I do. Uh the, the best example of, of when I think of Joe Biden, the, the uncle quote is, is, is great because uh, he reminds me kind of, of the, the, the uncle in uh, Christmas, uh, the Christmas vacation, you know, the guy who lights his toupee on fire. Right, right, right. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that, that there isn't somebody in charge. It just means that it's probably not him, which is why in the article, <laughs> I don't say Joe Biden is doing. I say the Biden administration is doing. Exactly. I picked that up. And a lot of people would agree with you that they don't think he's in charge. I, don't, I haven't met it. In fact, I haven't met anybody on the left or the right or the center or and I don't even think I've met a communist yet that because uh, I hang with a lot of strange people, you know. And but I haven't met anybody yet who thinks Joe Biden is in charge. Well, I have a joke that the first question Joe Biden has every morning when he wakes up, he looks over at his wife and says, Jill, am I the president? And uh, and then the, the joke part of that is on April 1st, she's going to say no. Yeah, that's it. That's it. It's right there, buddy. We're there. We're there. Every day is every day is on April 1st here, isn't it? That's crazy. Yes, it is indeed. Now, you say here again, whereas the political right tends to look at America as the greatest force for freedom in human history. Think about this, people. Now, think about this. This is such a great message here. And and my question to you, Alti, is do you agree with this? When you talk about the political right, people who, again, they tend to favor the Constitution. They these are people that, you know, understand what Judeo-Christian nation. These are people who stand for the flag. Uh, they do it automatically. Don't have to be told. They would never, ever insult the flag. And these are people like me who get goosebumps. I mean, we we, we shrivel up at the flag and the national anthem because well, we're so proud of our nation and our people and what we've accomplished. You see, that's the difference. So he says here, uh, whereas the political right tends to look at America as the greatest force for freedom in human history, much of the political left views America as an oppressive force that must be rebuilt in the image of other countries. To these people on the left, America is exceptional only in being bad. And America's dominance of the world stage is an inherently evil thing. Now, I think that's quite interesting when you put it out there, because I, I don't know who would argue that. And I know some on the left would argue that. But when you look at policy to policy and who does it value, who does it benefit? I mean, I don't think you can really dispute that further. So... You know, if we choose the way of the left, you say we choose decline and we ensure that even if China does not emerge as the dominant power, our day in the sun is coming to a close. And the political right, on the other hand, promises a renewed period of growth and a recommitment to American greatness, both as a bastion of freedom and prosperity and as the dominant player in the world stage. But here's the thing, Wallace. 
See, that's where I think we have some problems now, because when we talk about the right, we're ta- that. Uh, let me talk to you a moment about that, please. I think when we talk about the politically right, I think we're talking about a, a min- minimum amount of those people. It's a smaller percentage of the political right. And I'd like you to talk to me on that. I think the right is entirely corrupted. I think the Republicans are entirely, it's a mess. And you can call them whatever you want. I mean, the, the extreme crazies, uh, you know, or the um, the rhinos or the other people. But there's a doctrine, a conservative doctrine that has been lost in the Republican Party for a very long time. And they are equally helping to bankrupt our nation. Uh, they don't take a stand. These are people that are they're drowning inside the box. They're killing us in America. So I'm thinking with what you say here, I don't feel really good about that because I think the political right is killing us. Yeah, the political right is killing us. I think the issue there is when I when you talk about the political right, you almost have to talk about two separate groups. You have the Republican Party, and then you have the Republican leadership. And uh, the, the, the problem is that once somebody is elected and put into office, uh, politics being a team sport, they have to start to get, go along to get along, at least with their own party. And there are so many forces out there working to corrupt our elected officials. How do they stay clean? And, and so what, what I think happens is people enter into politics with the best of intentions. And then good people like Trey Gowdy look at it and say, what the hell are we doing here? This is the most corrupt, busy body group of nothings I've ever seen. Then he drops out and goes back into, public, into, into, uh, into private life. The people that tend to stay in politics tend to be the ones that are the most easily corrupted. And uh, as we destroy our market economy, there's always a market. You you can't get rid of the market. People will find things to sell. And what people in Washington have that they can sell is power. So that's what happens is uh, in replace of, of the free market, we have a government that takes power away from the market and away from the people and then sells it to the highest bidder. And, you know, we're seeing that with these shots. There are all kinds of effective ways to deal with COVID-19 other than getting a vaccination. And yet... We are forcing everybody to get the vaccination. I listened to some of the people on your show. One of the things I learned uh, from, uh, I forget the doctor's name. You've got a doctor who talks about COVID-19 a lot. Uh, his name's on the tip of my tongue. But he talks about how the vaccine, the, the, the Delta variant is actually, maybe, is actually mutated so that it spreads more easily amongst the vaccinated than amongst the unvaccinated. So now, what a dream job for Pfizer. Now you have to vaccinate everybody because it's the people you've already vaccinated are dangerous. This is The whole thing is just crazy. And it's, it's all driven by the fact that when we elect people, they have every incentive in the world, financially at least, to become corrupt. Well, uh, the system is designed that way. I mean, that's what the political system is designed. I mean, we often hear like this is the best system. In fact, that was said to me a lot. This was the best system, uh, you know, ever in the world. And yet I always question that, Wallace, because I, I didn't think, you know, I could see it failing years ago. And I didn't get the sense this was the very, it, maybe it was the best out of third world states and others. I, I, I Maybe that statement is accurate. I don't know. Well, let me ask you, do you is there another state of government uh, on planet Earth here? Uh, well, when you say, what, I, I love the way that you said it. You said this was the best. And I, I think that's very, very accurate. If you look at the rate of growth of the working people within societies and you wonder where the, the, the fastest rate of that growth was, it was in the United States from the time the, the Constitution was ratified 
up until 1913. Then with the creation of the Federal Reserve and more and more government power starting to take over, uh, federal taxes growing from 3% to now it's up around 20%, and they're actually spending over 40% of our gross domestic product. So you look at the rise of government and the speed of growth of the wealth of the American people has been shrinking along with the rise of government. Uh, and in addition to that, you, know, you look at the pay of the American people and it's not the pay of the people that businesses look at. It's it's actually the cost of employing someone and the proportion of the cost of employing someone that is pay and not something else. Some other government mandate that you have to have free health care or you have to have this or time off, whatever it is. The proportion of, of American of, of the cost of, of hiring Americans that is represented by their paycheck is at an all time low. And, and you know, government always finds better ways to spend our money for us. They always seem to think they have a better idea of what to do with our money than we do. And that's that's where we are. So, you know, the, the good news is this is not the first time we've been here. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, Henry Kissinger was, was telling Republicans and Democrats alike that the growing power was the Soviet Union and that we were the power in decline. And what we had to do is we had to kind of nudge the Soviet Union softly along in the right direction while also acquiescing to the fact that they are going to be the dominant power and that our day in the sun is over. And he was almost directly quoting Will Durant. Well, Ronald Reagan either didn't read Will Durant or he understood it better than Henry Kissinger did because he said, no, declines a choice. We're not going to do that. Let the Soviets do that. And the Soviet Union was on the brink of collapse. Sure enough, they collapsed. Well, now everybody seems to think China is the dominant power, the rising power rather, and that we are the declining power. And the same thing is true. That, that's a choice. And it's a choice we don't have to make. Every society eventually seems to make that choice. But even if we have to make it someday, we don't have to make it today. That's a choice that we that we we don't have to make. We can decide to be exceptional again. And I think that as, as true conservatives, not conservatives in office who have become corrupted, but as true conservatives who put people in office, I think that's got to be a hill we're willing to die on. But with the leadership right now we have, uh, they're choosing the decline. I mean, they're choosing, uh, that's, I mean, right across the board, the entire spectrum of government. Uh, I would say back to you with what you say there, uh, would you agree with me? These next couple of elections are going to be, I know we say that a lot and I, I always regret or I always um, I, I try to refrain, I guess, from saying these kinds of things. But right now, they're, you know, they've got those two Senate seats in Georgia. They, they're talking about they, they've got the committee now coming out with stuff. And I'm seeing a lot of fancy dancing with uh, PAC and the Supreme Court. They haven't committed to anything yet, but I think and I, tell me what you think. But I think they're going to come out with an aha moment. They're going to come out with a reason and they're going to I think they're going to pack that court. I think they know 2022 is going to be a, a bath wash. It's going to it's going to be a bath. It, if everything stands right now to what it is, uh, what do you think of that? I thought several years ago that we were seeing the end of democracy. I predicted several years ago that the left was, was understanding that they were taking the country a little further than the majority of the people, the vast majority of the people in the country willing to go. And it was not just the Democrats. Really, this is globalism. And it's, it's really, it's a globalist movement. We see this all throughout Europe. We see it all over the place. Um, and I think they realized a few years ago that they'd taken it a little further than the people were willing to go. And as they continue to take it even further, I think they knew that the people were not behind it, which is why we see these populist uprisings in France and in Germany, all over the place in England. 
all over the place. And uh, now in Australia, we have the riots. And so I, I think they know that, that they can't do it through democratic means anymore. So now the goal is, you know, we want the people to have the appearance of democracy, but that doesn't mean we're actually going to utilize their vote. You know, it's, it's, it's that Stalin saying that it's not the vote that counts, it's who counts the vote. And so that is, is what we saw. We very clearly with the, with the Arizona audit, there was a tremendous amount of fraud, you know, hundreds of thousands of ballots had never been folded, but folded, but were mailed in. Well, if they're not folded, they're never in an envelope. They were not mailed in. So, you know, that's where we are. And then the question is, how do we get back to where we were? We need to elect a statesman. We need to put a statesman in charge. And, uh, and, and we would like to think that that's going to be somebody like Ronald Reagan, uh, but more and more, it starts to look like a better example might be Augustus Pinochet. And it scares the hell out of me to say that. But but I mean, mm. if we don't have the vote, how do we put Reagan in office? Mm. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, you don't uh, I mean, I know this is not very popular, this part of the conversation, but um, you, you don't think uh, 2024, you don't believe Donald Trump is the answer. It's not that I don't think Donald Trump is the answer. I just think that it would be nice to have, if I could sit down and have a conversation with Donald Trump and just say, mm-hmm. be you mm-hmm. and be an authentic you, but just try a little harder not to piss everybody off. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is, you know, he's 78 years old and, uh, and, and I, I just, I think that the country would be better served by Donald Trump saying, you know, I've got all these great ideas and, and here's Ron DeSantos or here's Rand Paul, or mm-hmm. we've got other people that can carry the torch for him. He doesn't, yeah. we, we can't rely on Donald Trump forever. He's not going to live forever. Nobody does. Right. And, and so I just, I think the country would be better served if we had somebody like Donald Trump who was younger and, and maybe a little less abrasive. Yeah. Well, you said statesman is the right word, uh, statesman, uh, because at this point, you almost need that statesman to be able to bring uh, bridge the conversation because to outsmart the fox here, to outsmart the evildoers, you, you've got to be able to do that. Uh, he did. Uh, I talked quite a bit about that early on in Trump's years. This was really early on because I seen what was happening when he was pissing on the tulips. And I said at that point, oh, boy, this is not going to work well. He's inflaming the other side. He's pissing them off is what he's doing. And uh, they're, they're going to come after his juggler. And they sure did. But I, I seen the writing on the wall. And uh, I knew it was going to come back to be a problem. It was part of his style. I get it. Uh, but he did so many great things for conservatism. I mean, all the way across the board. And so you, you let a lot of that go. But the problem is when you inflame the system, it's one thing, you know, listen, it'd be great if we could burn the establishment down. I'm talking about the deep state now when I say that. It's probably not a popular thing to say, Wallace, and when you say it that way, burn the establishment down. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I'm talking about, I'm talking about figuratively, figuratively, the, uh, <laughs> say that past three times, the establishment being the system itself. We're not going to literally send anything on fire, but the system itself. So when you say I vote for research into America, and a final word here from you here, a research in America to me is going to require getting a lot of the old out of there. The calculus is we got to get the old out of there before they uh, need an oxygen tank or a wheelchair, um, it, preferably so. Um, it, like Pelosi, someone said to me just yesterday, is she, why is she still in office? The lady's 85 years old or something like that. So I, you know, she doesn't belong there. Obviously, she's losing her marbles. She doesn't speak well either. None of them do. 
but they got the power still. They don't want to let it go. So, you know, we've got this problem here with we the people and part of we the people put those people into power who are representative government who are now really sinking the ship. Uh, if we're going to have that research in America, uh, there's not a quick answer here, is there, brother? Well, I, I think maybe there, there's no easy answer. I, when you say quick answer, I could probably answer the question fairly quickly, uh, but there's no easy answer. I, I think what we have to do is we have to be revolutionaries during the primary process, and uh, we have to just get rid of the old guard. You've got to, you've got to, you know, you've got uh, AOC and the, in the, in what do they call the, 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 the justice Democrats, I think they yeah. call themselves on the left, jettisoning yeah. the, everybody who's, who's an established part of their party. We, we need to do that. We've got to get rid of the old guard and the Republican Party and put in new people that, that have not been corrupted. We have to hold their feet to the fire. We have to get rid of them if they start becoming corrupted or even if they're just in office too long. Uh, but then when we get to the primary, we have to do what the Democrats are not as good at. And we have to come back together and make sure that we are putting Republicans and Republicans only in office. We This is not something that's going to be solved through compromise. This is going to be solved by one side winning and one side enforcing its will upon the other. And uh, I think with, it's okay for us to do that because you know our will is freedom. So we're going to come in, take control of government, and then leave everybody alone. And they can live their lives however they wish, which, which I think is fair. What they want to do is they want to come in and, and tell us how to live our lives. And I, I think that's that's a bridge too far. I, I don't think that's the that's not the country was founded on. And I don't think that's the country you, I, or, or your listeners want to live in. Yeah, absolutely. You got it. Uh, Wallace Garneau, it's always, always good to connect with you, brother. You always have a, a good way of looking at things. Uh, one of my um, favorite voices, really, truth, truth be told, to get on here and uh uh, peel the onion, I guess. It's okay to peel the onion as long as it doesn't make you cry, they say, right? I guess. Um, you know, uh, your uh, article, and I want to mention to you out there, if you haven't read that article, go look it up. It, um, Maybe on the front page or depending on when you hear this, if you hear it on podcast or talk radio, uh, but just go onto our team and look up Wallace Garneau, G-A-R-N-E-A-U, and um, you'll see that. Also, his book is in the bookstore, the America Out Loud bookstore, Amazon, whatever. Uh, and it's on the front page uh, right now if you listen to this on talk radio. Uh, and it, obviously, you hear the man. He's got a lot of great thoughts uh, that's got to come across in the book as well, uh, clearly. You know? um, so, uh, but look for the article. It's um, entitled, America's Decline is a Choice. And my friends, I want to leave it there with you and say it is a choice. It, it absolutely is a choice. And uh, you know, there's a paragraph that uh, Wallace captures perfectly well here. Dominance, prosperity, greatness, decline, decadence, and poverty. These things are choices. No person or nation can decide what they are, as the decision was made in the past. But every nation and every person, including you out there, my friends, can decide what they aspire to be. And by wise stewardship, each person and each country has the power to become whatever it is that it wants to be. Decline is a choice, and a choice best left to others. I vote for American exceptionalism. I vote for resurgent America. And so you need to ask yourself the same questions, people. What do you vote for out there? And how do we get people on the rally train here, right? And the other thing, when he talks about revolutionary, some of the steps that we need to take here now might be a revolutionary point. Something else came into my mind, a revolutionary moment, because there's a lot of talk about a revolution these days, but is it a revolutionary moment, I ask you, or versus a revolution? Is this a revolutionary moment? Or some people think it's time for that revolution. 
I'll leave you with all that to think about uh, as we talk about American exceptionalism. Thank you, my friends, for joining me on the mission here. It's time to get involved and get loud. Yeah.